You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 135. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should do. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I am your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, a wealth advisor, and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. It is great to be with you today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, thank you for coming back. Today's episode is 2019 Year in Review. But before we get to the topic of the day, just wanted to let you in on a couple of things. First of all, if you're listening to this show right now, you, the only reason you will be is because you went to bestandwealth.com to listen. Because as of right now, and the show that I put out last week is still not publishing on iTunes. And when it doesn't publish on iTunes, it doesn't publish on other podcast apps as well. So... I'm talking into a microphone right now. I don't even know who's going to be listening to this show, but hopefully we get the link fixed here in the next little bit, like today or maybe tomorrow, and we'll be off and running again. I mean, I'm on a roll, two shows, two weeks. That hasn't happened in a little while, but I need to get through this 2019 year in review. One other thing I just wanted to let you in on is I've done it again. Yes, I started a Jan 1 plan. Once again, I'm about 30 years running. And for those those family and friends that know me best, they know. Sometimes I start a plan on Jan 1 and by, you know, January 21st, I'm off the rails again. You know, I believe I got this investing thing, this wealth management, this financial planning, retirement planning. I got this down. I got the discipline down. But the eating, the exercise, well, I leave it to the experts when it comes to that stuff because I am in and out, which is why I did hire my first ever personal trainer. I mean, I'm the first to tell you that your health is more important than your wealth, even though I concentrate on your wealth. And I strongly believe that you need help with your wealth. You need help with your investing and your financial plan and your taxes and your estate planning and all that business. But if your health is more important, you should need help with that stuff as well. It's not all do it yourself. You need an accountability partner. You need somebody that really knows you and structure a plan around around all of your ailments like me and my tendonitis and and my bad back and all that stuff I could cry to you about for a long, long time. But I'm not going to do that 
But what I did figure out in all of this, because this morning I was at a, a biking class at my gym, big room, about 50 bikes, instructor in front of the class, motivating you, lights are low, music is high, and just trying to get the best out of us at 5.30 this morning. And really, that's all I'm ever trying to do on this show too, is to get the very best out of you because it's not easy to stay motivated. It's not easy at all. In fact, my wife and I started a 14-day detox four days ago. And you know what that means? Just to sum it up real quick, it means no to five things. No sugar, no gluten, no dairy, no caffeine, and no alcohol for 14 days. But you know what? I think I can do anything for 14 days, and it's really brought me a bunch of energy. Uh, it started with a big fat headache, though, with no caffeine, but now great energy that I feel like I need to let loose with you guys and keep you motivated. We did a show last week on goals, and we got to keep this thing moving. We want and need as family stewards to absolutely crush 2020. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go, friends. 2019 year in review. Now, I'm going to go over the markets and how they performed in 2019, the various asset classes, like I do every quarter. But then we're going we're gonna to round up with the lessons from 2019 that we can apply to 2020. So we'll start with the market review and then move on to our lessons. But even before I get to the 2019, I just want to really quickly go over the fourth quarter because it was a massively good quarter with the overall U.S. stock market up 9%. And these are all, I'm just rounding in a lot of these cases and I'm not giving you any investments or investment selections. All I'm doing is giving you the indexes, not an index fund, but the indexes from S&P and Russell and how they've performed. So these are not investments. These are market indexes and how they have performed. U.S. stock market up 9% in the fourth quarter. International developed markets up almost 8% this quarter. Emerging markets up almost 12% in the fourth quarter. Global real estate up about 1% and the bond market was flat. But let's put this into perspective. The average quarterly return in the U.S. stock market since 2001 is about 2%. And the U.S. stock market did 9%. International developed since 2001, one and a half a quarter, up almost eight this quarter. Emergings up 3% on average per quarter since 2001, this quarter up 12%. Pretty staggering. And in the U.S., just a quick breakout from the fourth quarter, it was small that beat large and growth that beat value. 
Same case with developed, small beat large, growth beat value. And lastly, emerging growth beat value and large beat small. That's all I'm going to go over in the fourth quarter 2019 because we want to wrap up with the year in review. Let's look at the full year so I can get to some of these lessons we can take from 2019 and apply to 2020. So now let's look at the full year 2019. U.S. stock market up a little over 30%. Very impressive. With the average annual average return since 2001, 9%. So just crushed it. International developed up 22.5%. Average return since 2001, 6.7%. Emerging up 18.5% with over half of that coming in the fourth quarter. Average annual since 2001, 13.4%. Global real estate, which was up only 1% in the fourth quarter, still hung on with an awesome year at 23% for the year with the average annual return since 2001, almost 11%. U.S. bond market staggering as well. The aggregate average U.S. bond market up 8.72 with the average annual return since 2001, 4.7%. That's the U.S. bond market with global bonds up 7.5%. All a great, great year for stocks and for bonds. And when we look at the rankings in the U.S., first of all, the U.S. stock market represents $31.7 trillion, staggering, which overall compared to the, to the world, it's 55% of the total capitalization. And this year, large growth actually took off the most in the U.S. Now, generally, large growth, when I look back many, many years, does not perform as well as small or as well as value. But this year, large cap that comprises a lot of growth companies was up 31.5%. And if you're really leaning into growth really hard, you're looking at 36% this year. When market-wide, we were up 31%. See, large value, which normally beats large growth, on average, through many, many years, looking back to the mid-1920s, large value this year, though, 26.54. Great, great year for large value, just didn't perform like growth, and that's okay. It's why we stay spread among thousands of companies in our portfolio so we can capture all of these asset classes because just like we don't know when the stock market's going to do good or bad, we don't know which of these asset classes are going to do well in any given year, which is why we as family stewards stay in our lane. 
Now, small cap had a great year, just not compared to large small cap, up 25.5%. Small value, a little lower than that, 22.39. And that's because small growth in the small cap area did the best at 28.48%. Very interesting year, great asset classes overall. I would say large growth is performing extremely unlike its average compared to the rest. And some might say, let's tilt our portfolio in large growth because of how well it's doing, but that's the worst possible thing we can do because that's not staying in our lane. Now, international developed, same type of a theme. First off, international developed represents 33% of the total world capitalization or $19 trillion. Growth did the best compared to value. Growth up almost 28%, value up 17%. But small beat large, small up 25 and a half, large up 22. Here we see different asset classes doing different things. And that's that's what we expect. That's why we stay disciplined in the stock market, in our risk level, in countries, in sectors, in companies, and in premium asset classes like I'm talking about right now. In emerging markets, which is the smallest of the world capitalization at 12%, still represents $7 trillion. And here we see that growth up 25%, value up 12%, and large beat small, 18 versus 12. So all of these asset classes did great, growth just being the best, which is not ordinary when I look to all of the years dating back to even the 20s. But that's okay. That's why we're in all of these asset classes. What about country performance? This is fun to look at. Looking at the top three developed markets, that includes the U.S. and all the developed markets, with the number one company being Switzerland, up 32.26. Number two, Netherlands, up 32.10. And number three, Ireland, down, or I'm sorry, up 31.99. And there was not a single developed market that was in negative territory. The bottom three were Finland up 12, Spain up 12, and Hong Kong being the worst up 9.73%. I say worst, but that's still a great year for Hong Kong, or at least an average year. Now, emerging markets, we see a lot more disparity here. The top three, number one, emerging markets, Greece up 55.76%. Wasn't it just a few years ago that we were afraid of the implosion of Greece? We were so afraid. When really the market capitalization of Greece is less than Apple, the company crazy in and of itself. And here we see Greece up 55.76% this year. We just never know what country is going to hit when. Russia's number two up 50%. Taiwan number three up 35%. 
But here we see the three countries that have done the worst have all been in the negative territory, and they're the only three countries this year in negative territory. Poland, number one, negative 4.63%, or should say number three, lowest. Chile down 17.36%, and the worst performing country of these 46 ranked countries is Argentina, down 18 0.04%. And real quick, before I get uh, to bonds, which I'll touch on for a second, commodities is just fun to look at. What were the best uh, performing commodities? The top three, unleaded gas up 41.5%, Brent crude oil up 32.73, and nickel up 29.79%. Bottom three, Kansas wheat down 11.48. Lean hogs, I just like saying that, down 20.87%. And finally, natural gas down 38.55%. Interesting. Now, the U.S. aggregate bond index that I talked about before up 8.72%. That's when we take all of the bonds and average them out. Now, the one year which has done way better than in recent years, one-year Treasury up 3%, five-year up a little over 4%. And then the high-yield junk bonds, that some people call them, were up 14.32%. Now, just to give you a little inside track in what we do at Fortress Planning Group, which is the company that I founded, is we like to use these, these bonds that are higher quality, lower maturities, because the risk is so low that we can take those extra units of risk and put them in the stock market where we see much better gains over the long term. Now, finally, before we get to the lessons that we can take from 2019 into 2020. Let's just talk real quickly about the impact of diversification because this is huge because I'm telling you all these numbers and you're hearing that the stock, the U.S. stock market's up 30%, etc. Developed countries down a little bit more, emerging down. Then I got bonds in my portfolio in real estate. So when you're looking at the S&P 500 index that comes, you, you know, you read in the newspaper or on your app or you hear it in the news, that's just the 500 largest companies in the United States. The Dow Jones industrial average is only 30 companies. None of them are great to compare to your portfolio. So if you are in a globally diversified all stock market, if all of your 401ks in stocks, you'd have expected somewhere around 27%, depending on how diversified you were, what funds you are in, et cetera, et cetera. If you were a 75% stock, 25% bond kind of a person, you would have been closer to 20%, maybe a little less. If you were 50-50, 50% of your money in stocks, 50% of your money in bonds, a lot of people that are in retirement are somewhere close to this, maybe 60-40, maybe 50-50, you would have been up about 14.5%, according to the indexes, not any investment, like I said earlier. 
And finally, if you were just in treasury bills, if you had no risk at all, you probably were up about 2%. So all this is great. All this is fine and dandy. But what are the lessons from 2019 we can apply to our portfolio in 2020? And I read an article recently by John Booth talking precisely about this. Now, he has spent the last 50 years on Wall Street. And he has an article that he just came out with, and I'll give you the title in a second. I just don't want to spoil my punchline here. But he took us back to January of last year. Because if you can put yourself at the beginning of 2019 and draw some conclusions or some lessons from 2018, what do you think that you would have done? Let's go back there. Let's go back to the beginning of the year. And words running across CNBC's home screen were things like U.S. stocks post worst year in a decade as the S&P 500 falls more than 6% in 2018. If you remember, we did not have a good 2018 in stocks. The Wall Street Journal summarized the state of the market affairs by saying U.S. indexes close the worst yearly losses since 2008. I mean, these were gloomy predictions then that people had for 2019. People were nervous. People were anxious, especially people that were just getting ready to retire or already in retirement. Some people, hopefully not you as a family steward, decided to get out of the market and wait for prices to go down even further. They thought after 11 years, the bull market was finally on its way out. They decided to time the market. You know, I've been hearing since the last recession that we're about to go into our next recession. People were talking about another recession coming very quickly. So what actually happened in 2019? I just went through it. We had an outstanding year, but we didn't feel good in January, or at least at the end of December. We didn't feel good at all. So what about the folks that did get out of the market? What what about them? When did they actually get back in? And how long does it take to make up that kind of loss by not being in the market? I mean, how are you supposed to know when to get back in? There's no sign. There's nobody knocking at your door that says, it's time to get back in the market. And the same thing can be said of all of these asset classes and all of these countries and all of these sectors and all of these commodities that we just talked about. You cannot time any of it. So I've been following John Booth, who was the founder of Dimensional Fund Advisors back in the early 80s. I've been following John Bogle, the founder of Vanguard. I mean, these guys together have 150 years on Wall Street. I've been following the academics, the Nobel Prize winners in academics. I've been following them all for many, many years now. And do you know what almost every one of these folks say, which is exactly what John Booth said 
the lesson is from 2019? That is this. The market has no memory. The market has no memory. Don't time the market in 2020. Don't time these asset classes that may have done better than other asset classes. Don't try to figure out when to get in and when to get out because you got to be right twice. Instead, figure out how much portfolio you're comfortable investing in stocks over the long term so you can capture the ups and the downs and just ride it out. A trusted advisor, a fiduciary, a certified financial planner, a fee-only certified financial planner can help you and prepare you to stay focused and motivated and invested during times of an uncertainty because this will disrupt your retirement plan if you decide to try and time some of this stuff. And it's crazy when these academics all tell us exactly what to do and then we turn the TV on or we open the newspaper or the magazine or the financial news stations and everybody is making a prediction about 2020 and when to get in and when to get out of the stock market and which company is going to do better and which sector is going to do better and which country is going to do better. But the academics tell a totally different story. Don't listen to the news when it comes to your portfolio. That is all entertainment. Because if the news said my message, which is all of the academics message over and over, it would get pretty boring. I mean, at the end of the day, this podcast is probably pretty boring because I say the same things over and over, but I'm not going to stop because if I keep saying the same things and more and more family stewards start listening to the message, they're going to get it. And if they play that message over and over in their head, when they've started to build up $1 million and $2 million and $5 million, when it really gets scary when the market drops 25%, they're going to play it in their head again. Stay invested. Be disciplined. Ride it out. Now, I'm not saying put all your money in stocks. I'm saying have a great retirement plan that addresses everything you want to accomplish in your life. Because if you have that, family steward, now you can adjust your portfolio to the risk level that it's going to take to reach these goals. And maybe it means right now you just hit 40 or 50 or 60. It's time to start dialing down some of that risk, taking some of those profits off of the table so you can sleep better at night. This would be the time to reduce risk, not when we go through the next recession. We will never know when the best time to get into the market is because we can't predict the future. The market is smarter than you. The market is smarter than me. The market is smarter than everyone. But if we stop trying to be smarter than the market and instead just harness the power that the market has and make a portfolio that's diversified 
in all of these asset classes in tilted in ways with higher expected return, like small, like value, like profitability. Man, we got a chance or we are. That right there, Family Steward, is setting your family up for the best chance for success. And if you think about it, this all makes sense. If the market is doing its job, prices ought to be set at a level where you experience anxiety. You need to be nervous sometimes about the market because it is absolutely unrealistic to think the market would offer any type of evidence of when to get in or when to get out. Because if it did, guess what? There would be no risk and no reward. Stocks wouldn't pay more than your savings account at an interest rate. There'd be no reason to because there's no risk. The market pays you for the risk that you're taking. And that risk means experiencing anxiety. But my job for all of my clients is to reduce that anxiety so they can live out exactly the kind of life that they want to live in 2020 and beyond. So what should you do in 2020? Keep in mind 2019's most important lesson, which is the same lesson from every year before. Stay a long-term investor in a broadly diversified portfolio covering all the major asset classes, all the major countries, and then tilting in ways that you can add value to your portfolio premiums, such as the small, the profitability, and the value, even though it didn't hit this year. That doesn't mean on average it won't. Reduce your anxiety by accepting the market's inevitable ups and downs. Make sure people advising you align with this perspective. Stop trying to time the markets and you'll find you have more time to do the stuff you love to do. And isn't that what it's all about? Filling up your cornerstones with the greatest things, your family, your friends, your health, your spirituality. That's what you want to do. Find a trusted advisor to help you through all of this hard stuff. When we're taught that this is a do-it-yourself world, I'm telling you right now, it is not. Take some of this anxiety off of your plate. You will be glad that you did. If you want help, certainly reach out to us. Go to fortressplanninggroup.com, hit the start here button, and connect with us. And lastly, I do have one favor. I ask this a lot. If you would please go to iTunes once this podcast is actually on iTunes when the link is fixed. And please leave Best in Wealth a review and check out the new website, bestinwealth.com. We've worked really hard on it and we hope that you like it. But for now, hi, I got to go because I've been talking way too long. This is going to be a long podcast. I will see you when on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone.
The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.